uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, your intrepid crew is going to dive deep taking a trip in the Wayback Machine or possibly to a future that we're all going to exist in. We're going to be talking about some hidden gems, films that everyone should have loved, but for some reason, only we did. Straight away, let's kick it over to our chief. Bob, take it away. What do you got for us? Well, there's always a few films that I try to champion that maybe didn't do quite too well at the box office. So I was kind of shuffling through those. And I, I felt a need. <laughs> I felt a need for speed. Oh, my. So I went back to the Wachowski Brothers Speed Racer in 2008. Ah. And a film that I always enjoyed, even right from the first time I saw in the theater. But others maybe didn't quite get it. I'm thinking. <laughs> I know a lot of people, you know, okay, you know, they were, the Wachowski brothers also did The Matrix. So people thought it was going to be all this, you know, crazy camera movement, which to a point it was. But I think they were also worried about that was the era of the shaky cam. So everyone thought they were going to get epileptic seizures or <laughs> seasick or something. But it's basically a crazy live action cartoon. Because what the Wachowskis did was they shot it like it was a cartoon. So you've got the actors, but you have these multi-layered backgrounds. So what they did was they went and took these really high-resolution, high-def pictures all around the world of different settings they liked. And then they came back and they said, well, we're going to take the mountains from this one and we're going to take the sky from that one. And we're going to take a few trees from that one. And we're going to take this windy road from this one and put it all together into this background. And then we're going to take our characters and we're going to put them before in front of it. And one thing you get by doing that is you don't get that depth of field where the character in the front is, is in sharp focus and the background is soft. This is like infinite focus everything is background foreground everything's in focus uh. and so it looks it kind of has the appeal of a, car, of a cartoon plus very very colorful so if anyone's tired of the the very muted color palettes of most of the films these days this one is like blinding color and you know one thing i think i don't think people got if they haven't seen the old cartoon, the actors are actually acting like the cartoons. 
the way they deliver uh-huh. their dialogue, the way they speak, the, the scripting, everything. So, you know, you have Emil Hirsch as Speed, and he looks just like they took Speed out of the cartoon and made a live guy out of him. <laughs> Christina Ricci, Ricci, Ricci? Ricci. Ricci is mm-hmm. Trixie. And she's perfect because she's already got those big old anime eyes. And uh, <laughs> you also have Susan Sarandon, his mom racer, mom's racer. And she's good. But John Goodman plays Pops. And he is perfect for that role. Then, you know, you have other things. You know, they basically, you know, they knew their cartoons. They had Racer X was in there and Snake Oiler, and Cruncher Block with the Mammoth Car, and the GRX was in there, the, the race car. It was basically a huge love letter to the old Speed Racer cartoon, uh-huh. uh, the Tatsuo Yoshida comic. And uh, they had Spridal and Chim Chim, and the, the Mach 5, and they stole away in the trunk and everything, just like, just <laughs> like the cartoon. They had the big Casa Cristo race, which uh, features the Mach 5, because they have like different versions of the car. There's like the Mach 4, Mach 5, and the Mach 6. The Mach 5's race is perfect. It's like right out of a cartoon. You've got Vikings ra- driving racing cars and you know, <laughs> catapults in the cars that will throw like a big beehive at, at another car. And all the cars, they, they called it Carfoo because... In all the races, the cars are bumping into each other and jumping in the air and knocking each other around. And uh, they designed these cars where the where the wheels can actually both front and back wheels can go 180 degrees. So cars can go into a power slide and actually drive sideways for a while, and right themselves and everything. Um, so which makes the the races quite interesting. And then one thing that's like huge from the original Speed Racer anime is the music, the soundtrack by Nobuyoshi Koshibe. And uh, parts of that soundtrack are incorporated into Michael Giacchino's soundtrack, which whether it's incorporating Speed Racer music or just original Giacchino music is an excellent score. And they do have the Speed Racer theme. I mean, who doesn't remember the Speed Racer theme? It's one of the classic cartoon theme songs of all time. And uh, it's incorporated into parts of the movie. And in the Casa Cristo race, he also incorporates some of the Speed Racer music into that. Not the theme, but some of the soundtrack music. So definitely listen for that. And I thought that was just a great, great part of of the movie. Even the end uh, credits have, they start off with the Speed Racer theme, actually the Mach Go 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 theme from Japan, and go into this rap song about Speed Racer, which I hate rap, but this one is actually pretty good, I gotta say. It's catchy, and I enjoyed it. In fact, the first and last race, the last race is the Grand Prix. They're like Hot Wheels tracks. And you've got, you know, curves and you've got, you know, hairpin turns and you've got loops and everything else. It's actually, you know, and it's like pretty much action from beginning to end. It's a very entertaining movie. You're not going to get like Academy Award nominations for best acting or whatever. 
<laughs> but like I say, you know, they're acting. If you watch the cartoon, you like the cartoon, or you're familiar with it, you'll you'll understand what they were doing or what they were getting at. Huh. Now, was Ben Affleck in that movie? I didn't see it, but I thought no. Oh, okay. Who played Racer X then? Racer X was Matthew Fox. Yeah, okay, that's who I mix yeah. them up. Okay, Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox. And, you know, you could tell they were trying to make a, you know, at least a trilogy or a series out of it, but because it just didn't do that well, it was one and done. That's too bad. Um yeah, it's interesting to think in another universe there's been a Speed Racer trilogy. Could be. Could be, should when, be. When was the original Speed Racer cartoon uh, made? 67. 67. And when was it, when did it come over here in the U.S.? It was shortly after. Okay. In fact, uh, Peter Fernandez was the one who brought it over. He was a director, writer, producer, he also did the voice of Speed and the voice of Racer X. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, an amazing, he's actually in this movie. He has a cameo at the beginning. They have, when they're in the middle of the race, they have these announcers that kind of float by the screen as they're announcing the race for different countries and things. And uh, Peter Fernandez is the older uh, announcer. And he's got like a hat on. And it was good to see him. I... I met Peter Fernandez back at G Fest in 1999 down in Burbank. They already had Peter Fernandez and Corinne Orr, who did the voice of Trixie and Spritel. And I got Fred Ladd to come in. Fred Ladd had done Kimba and Astro Boy and Gigantor. And uh, also my friend Bill Winkler, who had done Tekaman at the time. And we had like an anime panel. Uh. And it was pretty cool. Uh, but after the panel, we all went up to Peter Fernandez's room and we were sitting there talking and I could close my eyes and it's like, that's <laughs> that's Speed and Trixie. I can hear them you know, they're right here in the room. Although I guess Peter's voice was getting more towards the uh, the timber of Racer X than Speed. But um, but no, I mean, they were they were great. And I kind of kept in touch with Peter Fernandez over the years. And in fact, I did an interview with him shortly after the Speed Racer movie and uh, had that up on uh, Sci-Fi Japan. And it turns out he passed away shortly after that. So I actually hmm. did the final interview with Peter Fernandez oh. before his passing. But a really nice guy, though. Oh, that's cool. And Peter Fernandez, I- he, he headed up Titra Productions. And they dubbed everything from... Speed Racer to Ultraman to some of the Godzilla movies, the better dubbed ones. Um, he also did like Kung Fu movies and Spaghetti Westerns and everything. It was pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder, Bob, if uh, I mean, you're, you're going into the movie with with knowledge and you're a fan of, of Speed Racer if kids just went in there and had no concept of the cartoon, do you think they would have latched onto it? I think so. Cause I mean, you, like I say, you've got this, these crazy races that defy all laws of physics and uh, cars just flying all over the place. Mach five of course has all its gadgets. It's got the, 
the jacks and the saws that come out of the front and everything else. Uh-huh. Um, special grip tires. But uh, no, I think they would. Lieutenant Debbie watched it with me. And, you know, she's watched the original cartoon as much as anyone else, probably. But she enjoyed it. She was like, I don't understand why people didn't like this. And it's like, well, you know, I think I just think a lot of people just did not give it a chance. So all I'm saying, uh-huh. I implore you, give it a chance. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this, Chief. So the cartoon... I mean, it was animated, but it was based in reality. I mean, you could kind of believe what was going on and, and the way the races, you know, took place. And, you know, there was actual jeopardy. It was one of the few um, shows where people actually died in the car crash. They didn't, like, walk away and dust off and, oh, I'll live to fight another day, Steve. Well, here's a, here's a little interesting tidbit on the original Speed Racer. Tatsuo Yoshida got quite a bit of... Uh, inspiration from an old movie with Elvis called Viva, La- Viva Las Vegas. Because if you think about it, you know, Speed's got kind of the Elvis look. Elvis, you know, drove a racing car in Viva Las Vegas. He had his mechanic, which was basically where Sparky came from. And then you had William Demarest as uh, Anne margarets father. That was Pop's. And Anne Margaret, huh. of course, was Trixie. She, you know, flew the hell. She was up in the helicopter when Elvis was uh, racing. Wow! Think about it. <laughs> well, fun fun fact: Kirby the Love Bug was also based on Viva Las Vegas. Buddy Hackett being the mechanic. And, no, just kidding. <laughs> you almost so, had me. For so, a listeners' homework now is to go back and watch Viva Las Vegas. Watch some episodes of the Speed Racer cartoon and then watch the movie from 2008. And <laughs> listeners, you'll know what it feels like to be an intrepid crew member of Planet 8 because you'll, that's what we do. You'll know what it's like to be Bob Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> so so my question, Bob, in watching the film, is the film – because you talked about all these like defying – um, gravity races and stuff like that. Is the film more like a video game or is it more like based in, you know, this could really happen like the cartoon. You know, there are video game elements in it. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's fantastical. It's like I say, it's like a live action cartoon. Okay. Yeah. It's almost like instead of taking cartoon characters and putting them in a live action environment, like who framed Roger Rabbit, this is more taking live action characters and putting them in a cartoon-like environment. Hmm. So almost like the opposite. Interesting. Okay. But like I say, it's a lot of fun, you know. It's under oh. two hours, so, you know, not a big long investment. Well, I'll have to take a look at Hulu, HBO, Netflix, Amazon, uh <laughs> name it and see if I can I would find have it. to look you know maybe while you guys are talking about your movies I will look and see if I can find where it's at I have the blu-ray so I can watch it when anytime I want <laughs> let's hear Who it for physical it for media free? yeah I'm sure it's out there we want the free version I'm sure well, it, pro- I- it probably is somewhere well, let's go ahead and kick it up to the satellite and uh, discover another hidden gem that our uh, oh our dear Karen would like to share with us. What do you got for us, Karen? 
Well, it's a dream to some, a nightmare to others. Not <laughs> now. I'm not doing Excalibur. I I could do Excalibur, and I love, love, love that film. Uh, but it is a film also made by director John Borman. Uh, this film is much maligned. It's the much maligned film Zardoz. Zardoz. Zardoz, Zardoz. from 1974. Nothing. Um, nothing beats John Connery in his underwear. Sean Connery in a, a red diaper, loincloth, whatever you want to call it, um, has given many people a, a, a good giggle. Uh, but yeah, this is a very strange film, which I think uh, is worth a viewing or two. Uh, it's, I, don't, I would not call it a bad film. I think it overreaches. It does not succeed in everything it tries to do, but it's definitely interesting. It will keep your attention. Um, this was a movie. So John Borman, um, at, at this point in his career, had made several movies that had, you know, uh, moved him to a prominent position. He'd done a film called Point Blank in 67 and Hell in the Pacific in 68, both of those with... Lee Marvin, so he was starting to get a, a reputation as a kind of hard-boiled film director. And then he made uh, Deliverance in 1972. So this was, that was the one that really propelled him. And then, for whatever reason, in, in 74, he makes Zardoz. And sort of the story behind that was he had become interested in making a film version of Lord of the Rings. Uh, but... The uh, studio he was working with at the time, uh, I believe that was United Artists, uh, they had uh, cold feet about financing a, a film version of Lord of the Rings. And I think he was also looking at making several films uh, to tell the Lord of the Rings story. So then he started coming up with different ideas of his own to tell a fantasy story. And uh, what he came up with was Zardoz. And so the, if you haven't seen it, the this, this story, it's a science fiction film. It's set a few hundred years in the future. It is a, it's kind of difficult to summarize, so I'll give a quick version. But you really have to see it. You have to experience it to um, get the full effect. But essentially, it's a dystopian story. It takes place um, in a, a pretty uh, destructed world. Um, there's two groups of humans still alive um there's one small group of people who are called the eternals and these these guys are immortal and they have some psychic abilities and they rule over the normal humans who are called brutals um the uh and they live in a, a really destitute rundown world and so the eternals um control the brutals and they do this with uh a group of brutals that they've kind of elevated and they call them exterminators. And so the exterminators um, worship this god, Zardoz, who is a giant floating stone head um, that the Eternals have, you know, created this myth mythology around. Um, and Zardoz floats around the countryside and he spews guns out of his mouth for the uh the exterminators and he tells them the gun is good and the penis is evil. And so this is their method of <laughs> population control. <laughs> so, uh, so I've heard uh, opposite, these, but <laughs> one of the exterminators, this exterminator named Zed 
who is played by Connery. He's a little brighter than, than all the rest. He becomes curious about Zardoz and he, after Zardoz lands and spews out his guns and gives them his speech about guns and penises, um, Zed climbs inside of Zardoz and Zardoz flies off and he, he winds up going back to the home of the Eternals, this place called the Vortex. And he gets out, but he gets captured. Anyway, long story short, he winds up sort of subverting their culture. It turns out he's the product of selected breeding. And he, uh, the, the Eternals are actually a very stagnant group of people because they no longer because they live forever, they no longer really have any ambitions. Some of them have wound up becoming catatonic and they just stand around all day doing nothing. Um, so, so Zed basically sort of um, winds up absorbing all their knowledge. It turns out they're run by a uh, AI called the Tabernacle. It's like a super powerful computer that's kind of keeping everything going. He destroys it. Um, he uh, winds up running off with a group of them. The rest of his exterminator brethren break in and start killing people. And it turns out a lot of the Eternals wanted to die anyway. And then he, run, he runs off with one of the women. They, uh, and then at the end of the picture, there's this kind of series of um, transitions where you can see that he and the woman have a child. They're just sitting like on this, this little stone. And actually, I think it's Zardoz's head that's you know landed on the that's inactive anymore so it's just sitting there and they're sitting inside of it and him and the girl the woman they have a baby then the baby grows up wait, then wait, the baby wait. The takes off. sorry yeah yeah so they're sitting in the head and while they're sitting in the head they end up having a baby yeah you see her pregnant you see her deliver the baby then you see them sitting side by side with the baby then the baby grows up the baby leaves and then you see them get gray and old and then they turn into skeletons and that's that's the end. So there's yeah, so much so more going on in this movie. So they in this head for a long time. I, I can't, you know, I can't give you in like five to ten minutes everything that goes on. Uh, nobody really can tell you, like, well, what's the meaning? Is it that technology is bad? Is it anti-feminist? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on in it. But, I, you know, some people have said it's incomprehensible. I don't think it's incomprehensible. I think he had a lot of ideas that he wanted to get across in it. I just don't think they, you know, that it was handled very well. <laughs> I just don't think that, um, you know, I think he wanted to do a lot, but none of it was done very well. And they also only had a budget of a million and a half uh, uh, pounds or something. It was, you know, you can tell they didn't have enough money to do everything they wanted to do. I think there, there was like one sequence where Zed is supposed to be absorbing all the knowledge of the Eternals. And I think they wanted to aspire to something like the uh, sort of um, psychedelic sequences in like 2001. But instead, you just see like they projected images of like mathematical equations on his face and stuff. So, you know, they're doing the best they could with like a very, very low budget. It's a it's a very interesting movie. I can say you will not you will not look at it and say, well, you know, I've seen this before. It's like, you have never seen this before. <laughs> You've never seen Sean Connery in a red diaper pulling a man around in a cart throwing bread at people. You've never seen that before. <laughs> I have because I saw the movie, but. Okay. What year was that again? It was 74. Okay. Yeah. I saw it in theaters. 
Um, that's probably the last time I saw it. <laughs> I'm always so impressed. Bob got to see so many things in the theater, and then the I'm rest of us guy. only got to see like on TV. So see, it pays to a be old and b <laughs> to be into all this at a young age. So yeah, I was able to. I did see it, and you know, I was kind of. Was this Connery's first movie post Bond, or was, was there one second. before that? What was before he, that? He made a film called The Offense okay. uh, j- just before this. But yeah, it, it does seem like he wanted to do some things that were kind of as far away from Bond as possible. And boy, did he. Oh, he, su- uh, yeah, he succeeded with this one. Yeah. Well, and you think about it, at, at this time, you know, some of the films, the other science fiction films that preceded or were close by were things like Soylent Green, uh, Omega Man. Uh, you know, Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes. Um, so it was still a time pre-Star Wars. And don't get me wrong, I love Star Wars. But before Star Wars, most of the science fiction films we got were at least trying to be about something, right? They were trying to be a warning to us about like, oh, don't overpopulate or don't destroy the planet or whatever. Well, they, yeah, they were like heavy message pictures. Yeah, but... I could. I just kind of picture Sean Connery saying, "All right, I'm done with Bond. I don't want to wear a tuxedo." <laughs> and they said, "Great, we'll put you in a diaper." Well, you know the funny thing is too is that um, Borman originally wanted to get Burt Reynolds for this part. Uh, I could wow. see that. He had just worked with him in Deliverance. And it's a very macho, almost like way over the top macho. There's some real rapey parts in this and stuff. And uh, he I apparently offered the part to Burt Reynolds. And it kind of depends on the source that you look up. Some sources say Reynolds got ill and he couldn't take the part. Others say that maybe he just pretended he was ill, <laughs> turned, you know, kind of read the script and said, oh, no, I'm not going to do this one. But uh, you could kind of see, I mean, as far as back in the day, leading men, both Connery and, and uh, Reynolds definitely had that real macho thing going on. Harry Chess uh, and, uh, and I can see because Sean kind of had the Burt Reynolds beard going and stuff. Wait, did you say Harry Chest? Yeah. Like Spidey Webs, Harry Spidey Webs. <laughs> Never mind, right. that was from a earlier episode. No, 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 they both definitely had, you know, forests growing on their chests. Oh, the yeah. machismo of the 70s. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, there it, there it is, the, the wonder of Zardoz. Um, I know it's available on, I think, Blu-ray and DVD. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, so... You know, if you're interested, I, I'm sure you can check it out. Well, you can look it up while uh, Larry talks. I did I look, look up Speed, up. and Speed Racer is available on Amazon Prime, though it is three ninety nine. Uh, but uh, you know, it's worth at least twice that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will say we have a couple of friends that um, hit up Best Buy certain times of the year. I think all of us have kind of scored some stuff in the bargain bin or the discount bin after the holidays or before, you know, President's Day sale or whatever. So who knows? You may find it, 
you know, in one of those bargain bins also. And Zardoz is also on Amazon Prime for three ninety nine, so you could have an evening of it. That's uh, that's you know, the magic price. <laughs> uh, I will say my pick is free on Amazon Prime. Ooh, there you go. Dang. Now there right were price. That's, that's right. They've already discounted Batman versus Superman. No, that's on HBO Max, buddy. That that's a premium <laughs> uh, movie there. You got to subscribe for that one. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I I went back and forth. I, I was going to do Ringo Starr's Caveman with Lyle Alzado and <laughs> Shelley Long. Um, I thought about Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I decided to go with one of my childhood favorites and before i put out the title i'm you know the the films used to put out these little taglines like uh you know in a galaxy far far away well this film their tagline was if this one doesn't scare you you're dead already (laughs) and this was for the film phantasm ah yes Yes. Now, Phantasm is not just a hidden gem. It is a gem in the rough. Um, Much like Batman versus Superman, you're either going to love it or hate it. (laughs) I love it. In fact, I saw it when it came out in the theater. (laughs) How did I know? Actually, in the drive-in. Where'd you see that, Bob? I saw it at the drive-in. Oh, man. That is cool. It's a cool drive-in movie. I tell you. In fact, I was just looking, I was like browsing around on Facebook or whatever, and uh-huh. I just showed Debbie. I go, "Oh, here's an ornament we need to get," and it was the sphere from oh. Phantasm. That is cool. Um, uh, we uh, do movies in the backyard uh, during the summer, and our our projector had had crapped out, so. My brother got a, a new projector, and it's, of course, smaller and brighter and, and all that stuff, as technology tends to do. And so just to test it out, he and I were in the backyard, uh, and I threw on Phantasm because I had it on my phone. And, um, you know, my wife ended up coming out to see what we're doing, his wife, his daughter, and, and we kind of had an impromptu movie night that we hadn't. You know, no popcorn, no dinner, the, nothing was set up. And it, it was funny because they jumped in all the scenes. Um, everyone was like, oh, what's the sphere? What is that? It, it, it still resonated today. And it, it's always cool to me when people who never watch a, a movie from, you know, the 60s, 70s, whatever, stuff that we like. And it resonates. It works. It still hits those beats um, with people. So, uh, okay. So, you know, and the other thing I was saying is back then, if you had a good tagline, good music and a good name for a film, because there were a lot of poopy films that came out in the sixties and seventies. And a lot of people might consider this to be one of those, uh, films. But look, if, if this one doesn't scare you, you're dead already. The name Phantasm and the music that they use. Um, guy's name was Fred Myro. 
um, it, it just it's kind of like the Exorcist theme song to me. It just inserts itself into the gray matter and on an idle Tuesday at 4 p.m. It'll just hit me. Well, I think, you know, um, it, it was classic in that it's like The Exorcist or it's like Jaws where you have this set of notes that repeats itself. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes they there there's a scene where they're at a party and they kind of speed it up a little and give it like a little disco. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this. Um, it, it was a low budget um almost like students I, I think it took him like a year because um don coscarelli was the director he wrote it um i think it was like the second movie that he, he ever directed his father helped finance it um before gofundme they just go around and say hey you know a hundred thousand dollars will get you a credit in the film or whatever the deal was um he got friends and family to um, help produce, um, help do the lighting, the acting. All the actors are friends. Hmm. Um, so the the film itself is about this uh, the villain, uh, or I consider the star is called the Tall Man, and it's played by Angus Scrim. And uh, I found out I ended up buying the box set of this. It, it all the movies are free on Amazon Prime. Except for the second film in the series, uh, Universal had bought the rights for Phantasm, and um, I guess they still hold them for the second film, so it's not streaming for free. How funny! It and they recast one of the characters in the second film against Don Coscarelli's wishes. But anyway, that's a whole other wow. story. Um. The tall man basically is looking to exhume cadavers to resurrect them and turn them into these zombie slaves to perform tasks or work on his planet, I guess. Or it might be another dimension. A, a lot of things in the film never really were that clear to me. Um, I think it might have like been a dimension. Nine? It wasn't. It didn't have like some kind of gravity or something because they're all smooshed down into midgets when they. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. So and and he he not only resurrects them, he not only makes them into zombies, but he scrunches them down into midgets <laughs> and, and puts these robes so they look like Jawas, unless the robe <laughs> is lifted back and they have these like, um, like ghoulish, ghouly, um. Or like a troll. I don't know. It's just this evil demonic face with these claws. They're very ferocious little midget zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. When you talk about elements of the film, it's like, what is this? Um, trust me, friends. All, all the films that we're talking about today, Zardoz and, and uh, Race, or, uh, Speed Racer, fun films. I, I can't really say this is going to be a fun film. But Phantasm is interesting. So anyway, the, the tall man uh, goes around to these cadavers. And um, so the Jody and Mike are brothers and their friend is Reggie. Reggie Bannister plays Reggie. And, and Reggie is like, he's the connective tissue. There's five films in this 
series. Um, I know, and it didn't need to be more than one, in my humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched all five. Like I said, I I bought the the box set, and the, the box set that I got has a sphere in it with two blades, and so Excellent. it's on display. Oh, Bob! I mean, does it work? Does this have like a remote or anything? I haven't figured that out yet. I, I don't know. I think it's going to fly around it, and. No, well, it, it, why, it's if, for people who have not seen Phantasm, why don't you explain exactly what the sphere is or does? Okay, so so the tall man has the cadavers and he makes them into midget zombie slaves. He of course operates out of a cemetery slash mausoleum because there's a, an active inventory. These spheres are like sentinels that patrol the mausoleum, I, I haven't – well, in the first film, they don't leave the mausoleum. After the first film, all bets are off. Um, <laughs> and so it's just the silver sphere about the so, – what are the softball you guys yeah, think? Yeah, about That's, softball, baseball, softball size. Yeah. And so um, the heroes, Jody, Reggie, Mike, at different times, separately or together, go searching for clues to these mysteries of uh, why cadavers are disappearing. And this sphere will fly around in the mausoleum. And when it spots an intruder, a blade comes out of the sphere. And and this is before CGI, so there's no, like, morphing or anything like that. It triggers out and embeds itself into the forehead of, of whoever it was it was going after and then a drill comes out and it drills into your skull and a, a stream of blood and brain matter then <laughs> exits the back of the sphere. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is one of the highlights of the film, actually. Um, and in the uh, in the box set, uh, I'll have to loan it to you, Bob. It, they get into how they did those effects basically to make the thing fly. They hired a softball pitcher and they had all these weighted <laughs> silver spheres that he'd toss at the people in the mausoleum. And it, sometimes it would hit them, sometimes it would just bounce on the floor. And then later in production, they, they'd have a close-up of the thing and, and put the, the knives out. But they also had this wall that they had the sphere attached to that was mirrored. So it wouldn't see the camera as the sphere was embedding itself into the person's head that's how they did that shot anyway um so well, i got Jody i gotta Mike, ask you though anytime you mention phantasm to someone yeah how many of them like make a fist and then go <laughs> and then like smack the fist against their forehead yeah stick out their like, oh because that's like the one thing in that movie that everybody remembers that have seen it is the sphere well, right. And so I was saying for a film back in the 70s, low budget, you needed a good title, a good tagline, good music and an awesome poster. And the original poster, I have it up in the office by the by the sphere that I got from the DVD set is a huge sphere with the knives coming out of it. And and they also have some of the little uh, dwarf Jawa ghoul things in the poster, too. But the <laughs> spear is the main star of that. Poster. Well, it's the gimmick. It's the gimmick that pulls you in. 
That exactly right. And and like Bob said, it is awesome. I think it, it hits like two or three people in the film, uh, in the in the original Phantasm. In in the other films, the sphere is utilized way more as the technology developed and we find out that there's black spheres and gold spheres and they do different things and um, but anyway back to phantasm so the heroes are going around trying to defeat the tall man and at first so reggie and jody are adults mike is a teenager and mike sees the tall man morph from the Lady in Lavender, and the Lady in Lavender is getting it on in the cemetery. First scene in the film with their friend Tommy and kills Tommy. And then the Lady in Lavender morphs into the tall man, which is really freaky deaky when you're watching this. Yeah. Yeah. So I I have not seen this film in a long time. So there's I don't have a lot of memories. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Do do yourself a favor. I I tell you, um, and, yeah. and that's like I said, the first five minutes of the film, and you're like, "What the hell?" Yeah, no, it's amazing because you you talk to someone who's seen it, and like I say, they do they do the fist to the forehead, or they immediately go, "Boy, yes, <laughs> boy." Oh, that it's it, like I said, th- this was pre computer graphics, pre and and it was a it looks like a student film to me because some scenes are overly dark. Some scenes are overly bright, you know, the outdoor scenes, they, they just filmed when they could. And, and however, um, anyway, they, they try to defeat the tall man. And, and at some point, um, the younger brother, Mike goes to visit a fortune teller who's blind, a blind old lady. And her daughter's like, Oh, here she's, she was expecting you. And, and kind of tells Mike this, bizarre fortune and he's like no but i gotta i gotta defeat the tall man and uh, he his brother locks him in his room in his home the tall man goes to the house tries to break in and and the kid mike slams the door on the tall man's finger and and one of his fingers falls off and this yellow ooze comes out and he shows it to his brother jody and, and reggie to say I, it's true look look and the finger's still like moving trying to escape um, Don Coscarelli's good friends with the uh, Evil Dead, um, Raimi. Um, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. And there are some similarities, you know, like Ash's uh, severed hand, this guy's finger. The film was, was uh, Phantasm was filmed in, filmed in 77, released in 79. I can't remember when Evil Dead came out, but it was that same period of time Mm -hmm. so um reggie or jody has this kick-ass black barracuda that you know they utilize a couple times in the scene and uh driving around chasing the hearse trying to you know chase down the tall man um at one point mike is going through these pictures and they show the tall man uh, on a cemetery, um, not a stagecoach, what would they call it? Like a, a hearse, I guess. Horse-drawn hearse back in the 1800s. And, and it's just a side view. And Mike's looking at the picture and the tall man's head like turns and looks at him in the photo. <laughs> now, back then, that was like an amazing effect. And of course, of course, he throws down the picture. He's like, ah, 
Um, long story short, with the film, um, they don't get the tall man. Um, and I never realized this, that um, supposedly at the end of the movie, Mike wakes up and he dreamed everything. It wasn't their friend Tommy who died. It was his older brother Jody who died in the car accident. And Mike, you know, Reggie was like, Mike, you dreamed all this. You you just made it up. You're trying to escape the fact that Jody's dead, you know, but I'm there for you, buddy. I'm, I can't be Jody, but, but I'll, I'll help you, you know, Mike, I'll be there. Their parents had already passed away. So basically Mike was going to be an orphan without Jody around. And Mike just can't, you know, believe that it was a dream and, and, you know, he's in his room and he's packing to go move with, with uh, Reggie. Spoiler alert. the tall man, boy. And out of the mirror, the tall man's hands pop out and grab Mike and pull him into the mirror. And then the music hits. Makes no sense. <laughs> was it a dream? Was it, was it not a dream? Um, in later interviews, the Don... Coscarelli was like, well, you know, we wanted to make it vague. We wanted the audience to, you know, come up with their own, you know, after it became a cult classic, is that really what his intent was? Or was it kind of like Roddenberry? Oh, yes, I always thought Star Trek was going to be a better future for humanity. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess it really is up to the viewers. But that that is my pick for our hidden gem. So if you guys get a chance, like I said, Phantasm is out there on Amazon Prime. Um, it, it's a great little uh, film to check out. But I tell you guys what, we're at that point in the show. Before we get into our censor sweep, we want you guys to share your hidden gems with us. What what films do you guys think uh, maybe we should check out? Um, go ahead and comment either on our Facebook page, um, our website. Uh, you can go ahead and uh, put something out on Twitter. You can even make a comment on uh, our YouTube channel. Um, it would be interested to see what you guys uh, have out there for uh, for hidden gems. It was a it was a fun show to do, actually. So, um, like I said, though, we're getting ready for our sensor sweep. This episode's sensor sweep goes to our dear chief engineer, Bob. Take it away. Well. I had a sense of sweep all lined up, and then something suddenly caught my eye a few days ago. And uh, Waxworks, which is a company that uh, releases LP soundtracks, and the quality is, like, excellent. I picked up their Night of the Living Dead two-record set at uh, Monster Palooza last time I went. And God, mm. you know... Monster Palooza seems like so long ago, pre pre pandemic, <laughs> but it was it's excellent quality, and they are releasing an eighteen LP set of wow. all the music from the Showa Godzilla films. Oh, wow! So everything from nineteen fifty four up to nineteen seventy five. Mm. Um, they all they each get their own individual album. A couple, two or three of them, I think, have uh, two record sets. And uh, it should sound great. You know, it's funny because when I moved into my parents' house, 
after they had passed away, um, I got out my old turntable because they had a big cabinet full of records. And I thought, well, before I decide which ones to keep and which ones to get rid of, I'm going to listen because there were some I had no idea what they sounded like. Uh And I put them on and I was amazed at how much fuller and richer records sound than a CD or a download. Uh And so I'm hoping that, and of course, this is if you don't have a record with a bunch of scratches and dust and whatever. (laughs) That's the one downfall. (laughs) But, uh, you know, if this set of records is of the same quality as their Night of Living Dead release, and if they sound like my parents' records sounded when I put them on the turntable, it's going to be pretty amazing. I have some Godzilla LPs from back in the day, but definitely not that extensive where I've got one of every film or whatever. So uh, it's very pricey. It's definitely a collector's item, uh, limited release, blah, blah, blah. So if you have like $450, stimulus checks are coming. (laughs) (laughs) Mitch McConnell willing will have some money to spend. So, um, you know, you could definitely go to waxworks.com and check it out. It's the, you know, it's their latest release. So it's right at the top of the website. And uh, it's all colored vinyl. So each film oh, has nice. its own color or pattern. Mm. And then uh, it has extensive artwork throughout. Wait, so there's more? There's <laughs> more. In fact, <laughs> if I uh, if I call up Waxworks on the old iPad here, come, I can tell you who the artist is. Because amazingly, it's someone I've never heard of. Because you always think of, you know, Bob Eggleton and uh, Matt Frank and, you know, the typical artists. But, yeah, they they went with someone else. And it's not coming up. So I will or Karen will post a link. I will. Check it out. Um, Bob? Yes. Do you know, are they only going to sell those in a set? Or is there a possibility they'll sell them individually, too? Just one old big fat set. Wow. That's all. That's the only way they sell these things. I mean, I haven't, I was looking through the website. I haven't seen anything else that has this many records in it. Uh, There were some that had maybe like a four or five record set. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, pretty much what they do. They do sets of records from, of soundtracks from classic films. Well, it is quite the investment, but it sounds like if you can do it, it's worth doing. Save up your shekels. Yeah. <laughs> Don't stick that stimulus check in your bank account quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friends and dear listeners, there you have it. Our first podcast for 2021. Hope you all had a happy New Year's Eve and um, hope you have a safe and happy 2021 it's going to be a while before things get back to normal, but so long as we stay safe, that's what counts. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. 
We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planetatepodcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet 8 Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Planet 8 Podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. Zardoz speaks to you. His chosen ones, the gun is good. If you